Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to Tech Sisters Stories. Tech Sisters is a community that supports Muslim women in tech through storytelling and sisterhood. My name is Grace, and I get to interview the amazing women in our community, share their stories and the lessons they learned. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, today on Tech Sisters Stories, we have Nina Dueyo. Nina is an experienced data scientist and consultant. As a senior data analyst, she specializes in solving complex challenges, using data to identify opportunities and enable clients to make smarter data-driven decisions. Nina is an active advocate for encouraging people from underrepresented backgrounds enter tech and was recently listed as one of the 10 eminent Black women in UK tech, inspiring others and making waves in 2021 by UK Tech News. We are so excited to welcome Nina as our latest tech sisters. Thank you so much for coming on, Nina. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and really excited to like discover what you guys do. Alhamdulillah. So great. So how about we start at the very beginning? How did you first get into tech? Um, I always say this, I almost stumbled my way into tech. So um, initially I studied medicine at University of Cambridge um, and two years in, I realized that I wasn't necessarily cut out for medicine mm-hmm. in the way that everyone else around me was so passionate about what they were doing. That's all they were talking about. That's literally all that consumed them. Whereas I couldn't wait to put my books away and kind of like go hang out with people from like business society or um, other societies. Um, and while I was there, I discovered entrepreneurship and technology. Um, and that's where I got introduced to the concept that you can actually do this as a job. Um, <laughs> it can't just be a hobby. Um, and I met other people who were working in like computer science um, and I got introduced to coding, which sounded really interesting. So during my summer holidays, I would kind of try and learn HTML, CSS, like the basics, just to get myself acknowledged with the, uh, like the way that coding works. Mm-hmm. Um, And yeah, I sort of fell in love with it in a way. So I found myself just wanting to know more and more. And every time I'd learn more, I'd kind of like discover all these other areas that I didn't know about. And um, that's how I found myself in um, the world of tech. And the first job I got was in um, a startup company Mm -hmm. that looked after like food discovery online. And they had a really big tech team. So I'd kind of talk to the developers and see what they were doing. And that sort of gravitated me into the software development side of things. But as I went to more and more meetups and met more people in the industry, I discovered data analysis and data science. And that's where, like, I guess my science background and my interest in coding kind of collided. So I found myself wanting to know more and be in that space a lot more. Um, and how did I find a first job as a data analyst that allowed me to learn a bit more about that area and then slowly progress my way up to data science? Alhamdulillah. So it sounds like... Um you've really followed your curiosity. You know, when you found something that you're interested in, you went for it and studied it and learned more and then made other connections and went in other directions. Absolutely. And I think looking back at my decision to study medicine, I did the opposite. Mm. I sort of decided that this is what I wanted to do because it seemed like a good job and it seemed like a secure profession, uh, well-respected, good pay, kind of like a stable job. Um, And then I made all of my decisions based on that. So I started going to like, activities and events that would help me get into medicine mm-hmm. whereas with getting into data it was the opposite it almost started out as an interest and then um out of the interest i found opportunities that allowed me to use that as part of my job um but even in my own free time i was still curious and interested in knowing like okay how does this aspect work that i've just heard about on in an article or i saw at a meetup 
um, so it was still a combination of like me just wanting to know more about the area out of curiosity and interest as opposed to me wanting to do this because that's what like is required for the profession. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So maybe less focus on the expected results and more on those individual details that are really sparking interest and excitement for you. Definitely. I think if you can find something that gives you some element of enjoyment in your day-to-day job, then I, so I remember when I was uh, beginning out in this whole process, I started out with just learning coding Mm -hmm. and I found that really interesting. And um, as I started learning more about data analysis and data science, I was gravitating more towards that. So initially it was a case of like, okay, exposing myself to the different things that you can do in the tech world and then eliminating the ones that actually I'm not really 100% motivated by or keen on Mm -hmm. um, and following the ones that genuinely like sparked an interest in me. So then slowly I started to narrow my field and say, actually, I'm not really sure I want to become a back-end developer, for example, or a front-end developer. I seem to be falling more towards the data analysis, data science world. And then even within the data science world, I'm constantly having to make decisions of like, okay, do I want to go down the data engineering route? Do I want to go down like the data science researcher route? Or, you know, just stick with like machine learning engineering and so on. So it's constantly, I guess, a case of trying to evaluate where your interests lie, where you naturally gravitate towards, and then making choices based on that and trying to eliminate the areas that you're like, not particularly fond of, like admin, which is my nemesis. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's one of the questions that we get asked the most from people who are you know, just starting their tech journeys. Um, maybe like you, they, they decide to transition into it at, at uni or you know, maybe later in life. And one of the questions I ask the most is, where do I even start? Um, what is sort of like the minimum thing that I need to learn to get a job right away? And I find that question very difficult to answer because tech is so vast. <laughs> it is... Um, it's so hard to describe and just pick one thing that you could say to them, yeah, just learn that and you'll be fine. And that's the thing. It's so different because like different companies are looking for very different things. Yeah. So it's not that if you do this particular course, then that's it. You're guaranteed a job. I always say go for any opportunity that comes your way. And then based on that, you can start to make more informed decisions of what it is that you actually really enjoy and what it is that you don't like. And sometimes, actually, it's not the technical stuff that you find off-putting or you find that you really enjoy. It's the soft skills, which is harder to gauge than, oh, actually, if I do this, I don't know, boot camp, then I'm ready to go and I'm all set, going to become a software developer. No, I definitely agree. I think um, there's a certain level of foundational knowledge that you need just to get started. But beyond that, I think the best way that someone can learn and discover their interest is to work on these different projects. You know, start building things that interest you and work with people who are sharing similar interests and build like really cool things. And then you're going to find what's interesting to you. You're going to find you're narrowing that focus and then you're building things to your portfolio. So it's, you know, you can't lose. <laughs> Absolutely. And I guess that's like the most, the easiest way to get, keep yourself motivated because yeah. you're working on something that you actually genuinely like believe in or are passionate about. So you're not really thinking about, oh, the end result, you know, Mm -hmm. I have to keep doing this. It doesn't feel like a chore. Yeah, exactly. So that's a good segue into this next question for you. So when you're looking and you're doing your work and you're thinking about how to help your clients make these smart data-driven decisions, what's motivating your work and what's keeping it exciting for you? I think for me, it's always the problem itself. Like I 
find myself getting lost in the work when I've got a challenge that I've come across, but I'm not quite sure how to solve immediately. And it's a case of trying to figure out, okay, how do I even approach this? How do I begin? That's the bit that really gets me excited and kind of gets me going. Uh, once I have started the challenging uh, problem, there's often a phase where you just go through the frustration of not figuring it out. You're just kind of like banging your head against the wall. You're like, I've tried so many different methods. Nothing seems to be clicking. And then I often find just taking a break and coming back, I don't know, an hour, two hours later, something in my brain often just clicks. And it's like, yeah, that's that was a solution all along. I should have just stuck with this. But yeah, so for me, it's, it's the problem solving aspect that I really enjoy. And then also just seeing the benefit it has on the clients and seeing like how it helps them make their jobs easier. Uh, I also find it quite rewarding. So when you're working on a really tough uh, problem, I think that's partly what drives me is just to know that it's going to benefit someone in the long run and it's going to hopefully reduce someone's stress or make their life easier. I really love those points, mashallah. I think it's so, when we focus on the benefit to the clients or the impact that our work has, it brings a lot more meaning to it than just hacking away and <laughs> looking at the screen all day long and it puts some meaning behind it, right? Absolutely. Definitely. Um, and I guess sometimes it can feel quite monotonous when you've done something for the fourth or fifth time, uh, but it's reminding yourself that it's for a different purpose each time. For example, we do um, some website implementations where you have to like set up the tracking to ensure like the business has the information they need to make decisions. And after you've done the fourth or fifth implementation, it can start to get quite similar. Websites might be different, but a lot of the build itself are quite similar. So what I tend to do is kind of give myself that initial pep talk, just being like, okay, this is for a different purpose this time. So you can't slack off. You have to kind of like do it as if it's your first time and then just enjoy the process, I guess. And often what ha tends to happen is you end up learning something new along the way that had I not done it at all, I probably wouldn't have picked up. So yeah, alhamdulillah, it always ends up being like a good learning experience as well. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, that's true. I also like what you said about um, when you're really stuck uh, to take a break for a couple hours and come back to it. I think that is, well, I think that's a universal thing, but it's very hard to know when to take that break. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but as soon as we let ourselves do that, just just step away, then the, the answer comes. Definitely. I found, so I don't know about you, but generally I find that when I'm working on a challenge, I can get very lost in that problem yeah. and find myself on the computer for hours. Yeah. And it's often at that point where my eyes are like, no, I can't take this anymore. That I'm like, yep, it's time to take a break. <laughs> walk away and then we'll come back in a minute, like an hour, two hours and see if, you know, we have a fresh perspective on this. That's it. Yeah. I think because when we get into the habit of problem solving, it is, uh, you know, you just get dive deeper and deeper down into it. Yeah. And yeah, you just can't have any perspective anymore because you're surrounded by this code. Yeah. So, uh, Definitely. Although I have to say, one thing that's really, really helpful is having yeah. Sama because I yes. found that for me, it forces me away from the computer. So there have been moments when I've been stuck on something and I'll like, have to get away because I have, like, you know, the floor is about to finish. Mm -hmm. And then after praying, I come back and I'm like, oh, actually, that wasn't that big of a problem. Like, it was just <laughs> all in my head. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> okay, uh, so the next question, what challenges or setbacks have you encountered? Maybe in your career or maybe thinking about a specific project and maybe what did you do to get through those and keep going? Challenges and setbacks. I think initial 
challenge, I guess, a challenge and a setback was when I made the decision to leave medicine. Sure. Um, so this was, oh God, like quite a few years ago, about seven years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, I didn't really know what the alternative was because mm-hmm. in medicine, you often have like a pretty mapped out route in terms of where you're going to end up or the multiple paths that you can take to one destination, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and having gone through that in my mind, I'd kind of like mentally made a plan of like, I'm going to become a surgeon. I'm going to go into neurosurgery and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then to just like abandon all of that and suddenly decide to go to something that's completely like unpathed was scary. And for me, the biggest challenge was just to kind of like redefine what it is that I wanted to do in that process. So kind of re-examining all my motives and intentions and making more of an informed decision each time so I kind of like stripped it back completely and said okay I'm just going to find a job and it doesn't matter which industry I'm in I'll just find a job and then once I'm in the world like business world I'll start to decide in that process but I knew that regardless I'd have to work super hard just to kind of make up for the fact that I didn't have the typical uh, academic background for people who are coming into these fields and especially in technology I found that a lot of the times I was kind of second guessing myself at the beginning whenever I'd make a decision of like oh but is it the right one how am I supposed to be sure so I'd spend godness how many hours just researching all the alternative options before I made a decision and the time that I worked in my favor because it meant that I was exposed to more and more things in the process so whenever I made one decision, I'd kind of like looked through 10 different things. <laughs> I need to realize that the first one was the right one. But in that process, I was exposed to nine other things that I could potentially go like as choose as an option. Um, and then slowly with experience, I started to get my confidence. So then it became less about like, you know, my background and what I studied and more about just like what I'd, the skills I'd gained and where I wanted to go like going forward. So then it was just more about, okay, giving myself more exposure to other projects where I could learn more of the things that I'm interested in. And then also doing that in my own personal time. So finding the time to learn about areas that I was interested in. And then the current challenge now is balancing that ambition of wanting to learn more and upskill, as well as doing other things like learning Arabic and Islamic sciences and still being present for the family. And it's just, yeah, finding a way to balance everything without compromising one or the other. MashaAllah, that is the ultimate trick, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, that, that's so good that you're you're still able to study Islamic sciences while uh, doing bouncing family and work obligations as well. It's, it's really, really good, MashaAllah. I'm very grateful. The center where I learn um, is so accommodating. So mm. we do spend a lot of time with them and with the teachers learning, but they also understand that all of us are professionals. So we do tend to have like work, work demands and so on. So where it gets quite busy, they allow you to sort of pull back a little. And then when you have a bit more time, you can kind of come back in and go and spend more time studying and kind of putting more effort in. But I think it's just that regular contact that I really enjoy because it means that I have an escape from uh, work and all the other stresses of life. Mm, yeah, that's really excellent. And I think that for a lot of women, especially once they start working or once they have kids, they sort of don't even consider studying Islamic sciences as a possibility anymore because they don't have that chunk of time that used to be required to really get into it. Yeah. But alhamdulillah now there's, there's, it's really flexible and there's a lot of ways to incorporate it into our lives without making too much of a sacrifice. Definitely. And uh, there's so many online like platforms now where yeah. you can kind of study at your own pace um, and the material is readily available. So I guess it's a question of when you can find time making it a priority and knowing that it's important for you 
because that's what I've struggled as well with Islamic sciences is making that time myself, mm-hmm. knowing that it is important and I have to kind of prioritize it over other things. But it's so worth it. I can't emphasize how important it is. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. I'm curious, Nina, as you're describing that and that when you decide to leave medicine and you're going into this unknown, I was curious what your family's reaction was to all of this, because I think in, in our communities, it's there's a lot of meaning behind going into medicine and being a doctor and then to turn away from that and to go into something that is really not a lot of people have done it. Uh, so what kind of reaction did you get from them? Do you know what? When I started medicine, I think in the first year, my mom made a comment because my mom uh, studied accounting and she worked as an accountant for a few years. She was just like, I don't think you're you're into medicine. And mm. I think she just made it as a passing comment. She's like, why don't you consider accounting? And at the time, because it was the first year and I was like really zealous and I thought, no, there's no way I'd ever consider anything but medicine. I've worked so hard to get into it. <laughs> so I was just like, I brushed it off. And when I did finally make that decision, I think she was worried, but part of her knew that it was coming. Mm-hmm because she could see that it wasn't something that naturally came to me or that I gravitated towards. And it helps that my sister was already uh, starting to become a doctor. She's two years older than me. Okay, so she so already has one, one, one in the family. Yeah. She's like, fine. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you can go and waste your life doing something different. It's fine. We've got one. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm like, that well. But no, she's been super supportive. And I think one other thing I've really appreciated is the fact that she's allowed me to make that time investment to also kind of, upskill in my own time because mm-hmm. I did come from a like a computer science background so a lot of the things I learned were in my own personal time right which meant that I didn't have enough time to kind of help around the house as much as other like the expectation is I suppose and she was okay with me kind of investing that time in my work and knowing that inshallah it will pay off in the future alhamdulillah it's such a yeah, blessing to have supportive blessed. parents <laughs> definitely alhamdulillah okay you do a lot of work in inclusivity and diversity. You do outreach for, for Black and Data, and you've been a member of Islamic Makers for a long time, and I've, I know that you do a lot of diversity work. So with that experience, what are some actual steps that workplaces can take to be genuine about diversity and ensure that people from underrepresented backgrounds can feel safe and confident when they're at work? I think for me, the biggest learning experience in this conversation has been around the uh, Blackout Tuesday. Yeah. Ever since that happened, I noticed that a lot of companies and employers were open to having a conversation. And in the process of having those conversations, I realized that one thing, I guess, even the first step is just being willing to learn and hear about other people's experiences. Because often for myself as well, it's hard for me to imagine what someone who hasn't been through my life and hasn't been through my similar experiences goes through day to day what their challenges are and what their fears and what their worries are when they come into the workplace. So for me, the first thing would be having that conversation and being like open and frank about what it is that's actually affecting you as a minority, but also on the other side, being open to hearing what those challenges are and working together to address them mm-hmm. um, and not feeling like, oh, actually someone is putting putting you on the spot and blaming you for what's going on. They're just saying that this, these are the things that I come in with as baggages in the workplace day to day and I have to think about and once you have those conversations alhamdulillah I found that actually a lot of people are open to kind of accommodating where they can for example the issue with prayer like I think one of the biggest things I had when I started working was how to have that conversation of actually I need to pray five times a day and some of those hours fall during working hours especially in winter some of those might like three prayers might fall into the working hours like back to back to back so it's kind of 
having those conversations early on and saying, how do I accommodate this with everything else that my job requires of me? And then knowing that the employer or your manager is going to be open to hearing it and not dismiss it as a like a non-issue. So for me, I think that's one thing that can help really make people feel like themselves in the workplace and not have to worry about their faith or their race or any of their identity markers. And then the other thing, I guess, is kind of where we can try to reach out and doing activities to encourage people to enter these fields. So I've noticed for myself, like the background I come from, not many people knew about um, the tech industry growing up. It was always medicine, law, or some form of business. And part of that is because we didn't really see people who looked like us, or just generally we didn't see many people in those industries talking about their experiences and how they got in and kind of widening that participation to say that Anyone can get into it. It's not an elite group only. Um, So one thing that I'm really keen on is showing younger people who are about to go into college, letting them know before they make the decisions of like which A-levels they're going to choose, where they like, what options are available to them. So I think one conversation I had recently, which really struck me was um, you have people, especially with football, who are really interested in sports and like really keen on kind of pursuing something in that field. But they also have these pressures, I guess, from their family and community saying that, no, there's no stability or security in those areas. Mm-hmm. So you should go something that's more professional. But actually, you can't find a way to combine the two. So, for example, you have people who work in sports analytics where they combine like their data analysis and their technology interest with their area of interest, which is sports. And you're able to work together, like the two together to kind of find a fulfilling job. And for me, it's just being able to say that Don't limit yourselves to these particular areas just because you think those are the only areas that are open to you. There are more options available. And alhamdulillah, there are more companies who are looking to fill those gaps because they recognize that it is a lot harder for people from like disadvantaged backgrounds to get into. Alhamdulillah, yes. I think those are really important points. One thing that kind of sparked when you were talking about having that conversation at work and and being able to share your experiences with them I think that, well, maybe you can inform this some more, but I, I feel like there is a barrier before people feel comfortable and safe to do that, that uh, especially if they're starting a new job and that might be the best time to ask for a prayer space. But when you're at a new place, you don't want to be seen as, I don't know, yeah. it's not fitting into the culture. So maybe how do you think people should start that conversation? It's really difficult. I remember when I started my, um, I think it was my second job. So this would have been around 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. I watched one of those YouTube videos of a Muslim brother talking about how he'd gone into the meeting like during his interviews. And I think he'd just been told that he was successful. And he said that he has to take Fridays off because yeah. of Friday prayers. And that for him is, a, I guess, like a holiday. So he'd like to have um, that day off. And then the manager was like, okay, fine, we can make a working arrangement for that. And I remember thinking like, well, if he can ask for a whole day, <laughs> I'm sure he can ask for an hour here and there. So I, the, when I went in, I was just like, let me see what's the worst that can happen. I mean, they've already recruited me. So hopefully they wouldn't like turn me around and say, no, that's it. We don't want you. And I just had a conversation to say, look, I have Friday prayers and I would really like to be able to attend them. Can I please take a long lunch break on Friday and I'll make up the hours? Mm-hmm. And my manager was like, yeah, sure, that's fine. And then I think from there, I just got the confidence to ask whenever I'd go to other places. So like conferences, I would just ask for an empty room and say, can I pray in that little corner there that seems quiet? Like I wouldn't disturb anyone. I'll just kind of do my thing, finish and leave. 
um, and then slowly from just asking and seeing that people's responses weren't negative yeah most of the time um, I grew the confidence to just keep asking but there have been moments where it, I found it particularly difficult so I've kind of I don't know if you have that experience where you're in a meeting and you know like the prayer time is about to approach or it's like close to ending and you're just like oh please finish please finish talking so I can go and pray and then like you finish praying you rush around trying you to rush find out it. yeah yeah <laughs> like find the quiet corner you're just like okay open park where are the nearest open park <laughs> which can get awkward if it's like snowing or raining you know oh, yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> I know this very well <laughs> yeah alhamdulillah one of the things I was thinking when you said that when we're in an interview mm-hmm. do you think that's a good time to say these statements to kind of assess how open a company is to accommodating you or how open they would be to listening to your experiences and making you feel valued and heard? It's a difficult one because I think in the interview phase, you're kind of waiting to see if they'll just accept your qualifications, for example, or just you as a person to fulfill that role. Um, I often find once you've got the offer, then it's best to bring those conversations up because at that point, they've already made the commitment. They've said that, you know, we want you to come and deliver this job and we've invested this whole like effort to try and find you so at that point they've kind of already committed mm-hmm. and I think that's where you have a little bit more room to say okay actually these are the things that are really important to me and it becomes more of a negotiation to say you know are you I guess think of it from like a, a physical illness perspective for example if I had a broken leg and I needed to I don't know what do people with broken legs need crutches <laughs> yeah you know, like I needed walking sticks or something accommodation um, reasonable accommodation exactly yeah. and it's just one of those things where you'd have that conversation with them to be like look in order to make my job easier these are some of the things that would really help mm-hmm. and is there a way that you can accommodate them and where they can't and I've had like some companies say that no we don't actually have a prayer space but we can set up a separate like you know booking for you so you can book the meeting rooms yeah or they've like say you know we can find a corner somewhere it's not the most ideal place to pray but it allows you to have that like solitude so you can concentrate and you're not kind of worrying about people walking in and so on Mm -hmm. so I think yeah just having that conversation with them early on and seeing where they stand and especially at the point where you've got the offer it allows you to then figure out like okay is this somewhere where I feel like they're willing to meet me halfway or they're kind of willing to accommodate my needs before you've made the commitment, it helps. But also once you have started already, you can still have those conversations. It's never too late. I'm, I guess I'm saying, I, I don't know the answers. <laughs> I think it really comes down to an individual and how they feel. Because you can gauge when you're having a conversation with someone, how open they are to hearing you out. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I think that is kind of the underlying thing is, is, is going to be different for the individual. It's going to be different for each situation that you're in. Yeah. And I do like what you said, that it comes with practice that the more you ask, the less of a big deal it seems. I mean, because really when we're asking for prayer time, it's what, like five minutes and just a space for five minutes and people go on you know, smoking breaks or coffee breaks for much longer than that. So it's really not a big thing that we're asking for, you know. I guess, especially for like Muslim women, you do, you're visibly a Muslim yeah. when you wear hijab, for example. So I think there is a little bit of a hostility that comes with that in workplaces mm-hmm. sometimes. So I can understand the fear of like not wanting to make yourself stand out even more. Yes. And I think one of the worries I had at the beginning, and I still do sometimes, is where you feel like, oh, because I'm taking, especially in winter, you're like, I'm taking three breaks to go and pray. And this might be during my lunch hour. 
but I still feel like people might question my commitment to my work. They might think that I'm slacking off because, you know, I keep going out of the building three times a day um, to go and pray. Whereas if I was going out to, I don't know, buy lunch or to go to the shops to get something, I wouldn't even consider it. Right. Yeah, you wouldn't even tell them that you're doing that. Yeah. (laughs) It's more of a mental thing. I think I've had to learn to kind of talk myself out of that and say, well, no, actually, this is really important. I have to pray. And if I don't pray, I'm probably not going to concentrate on my work. And then it's just a downhill spiral from there. So best thing for me and the employer is if I go and pray on time and then come back and I can concentrate. (laughs) Alhamdulillah. Okay, Nina, uh, what is the thing that you're most proud of? So this could be in your career or in your personal life. What's something that, you know, is really special to you and you feel really excited talking about it? I guess for me, it's uh, in the last two years or so um, at Station 10, I've had the opportunity to kind of develop the data science proposition. And Alhamdulillah, we've managed to like grow it into a full-fledged service that we offer our clients. Um, and it's actually generated quite a bit of like revenue. And for me, knowing that I came from knowing very little about this field, completely like zero, um, to suddenly being able to build a service where people are asking for this offering and they're asking to pay for it, it's just like mind-blowing. So alhamdulillah, like, I think it's been one of my biggest lessons as well in that I might not know what what the path is or how I'm planning to get there and I guess in the process I did worry quite a lot like I'd worried if I could ever get to that point but somehow it kind of fell into place in its uh, like in its own way and of course that's through a lot and for me it's just been like a lesson of patience and not overthinking things and not over worrying just knowing that if something is meant to be it'll happen um, and in the process I guess it's just enjoying what you're doing and trying to just keep focus on what the end goal is but alhamdulillah it's been it's been one of the biggest learnings for me I think is not overstressing about where I want to be in a couple of years and how I'm going to get there and just enjoying the process of like okay this is where I am now and this is what I can do to try and get there but not worrying too much about the end goal mm-hmm. alhamdulillah hmm. yeah and that's that ties in so perfectly with what we were saying at the very beginning about how you were focused on the details and the processes and not so much the end results exactly I think it worked really well because like it was more organic in the way yes. that it sort of fell into place so it was more of a case of I'd learned a few things for meetups and I came back and I thought oh actually I could apply this at this like in the current project that I'm working on and then through that having conversations with the senior leadership team and saying that this could be a thing and they already were thinking about it I guess it, they just needed that catalyst to get it started Mm-hmm. Um, and alhamdulillah, I had like amazing directors who were happy for me to kind of take ownership of it and direct it and kind of push it along. Um, and in that process, we came up with a service that really worked well with the company. And it's still growing and kind of still uh, being developed further. But for me, it's just knowing that it went from an interest and something that I was curious about to it being something that we're now offering to clients and it's helping them develop their abilities internally. Oh, alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm smiling so much just because I can feel, it, it just feels so great to listen to that and that journey that you went through and the results are so good. Alhamdulillah, I'm really happy for you. Alhamdulillah, it's, yeah, I think for me, it's one of the lessons of just kind of like tawakkul in Allah and knowing yes. that he's got the best of plans. Like you might think that something didn't happen and it means that at the end, but actually there's so many more options and I guess it's just being patient and kind of knowing that 
whatever's meant to be will happen. There is no point stressing over it. And I know it's easier say than done, but I'm trying to remind myself this every time I start to stress. I'm like, no, just remember that it'll happen if it's meant to be. That's right. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> okay. So, which is a good segue here. So what's something in your journey that you regret or you wish you did differently? Oh, that I regret. I guess I always regret how I spend my time. Okay. <laughs> um, just generally, I find, so, uh, I mentioned that I've been studying Islamic sciences yeah. and I signed up to it like three years ago. It started out with just Arabic and then they slowly eased us into like the Islamic sciences. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting. And honestly, the amount of content that we cover and the discussions that we have, like I couldn't replace it for the world, but I wish I just put more time and effort into making the most out of it. Mm-hmm. I find that half the time I'm either really tired or a really bad student, so I'm not like actually following up on my, you know, after reading and so on. And if I look back, I think that all comes down to time management. Mm-hmm. So it's just a case of like not really understanding when I should be taking breaks and when I should be pushing myself and how to structure my day so that I can get my work done and then have enough energy to do my studies as well. Um, so yeah, that for me has been the biggest like, I guess, regret. And it's something that I'm actively trying to work on. So I'm like currently doing time schedules and being like, okay, I need to put in breaks. I need to make sure that I have, you know, like time to exercise so I can feel refreshed just before the classes. And I also need to make sure that I follow up on my like class work so I can hand it in and get a better gauge of how I'm doing. Yes, mail up a lot of barakah in your time so you're able to do all of these I mean, things. I mean. And for everyone listening. <laughs> uh, and the last question I have for you today, Nina, what's something or someone in your tech journey that you feel so grateful for? Oh my God, there's so many. <laughs> I have to say, Alhamdulillah, I've met some incredible women through this process. So my first ever job, the one where I was working for a food discovery company, I had a female manager and she was very ambitious. Like she was one of those go-getters. You could just tell from the way that she kind of approached things. And from her, I kind of learned, and she was mixed race, uh, black American. Mm-hmm. And I think just seeing her own her space and kind of be unapologetically herself while still aiming for the best, I suppose, that instilled that confidence in me to say that actually this shouldn't matter. I should be able to just kind of set my goals and push through and aim for whatever I want to do. So alhamdulillah, from her, I kind of learned that. And then my next manager was also a woman. She was like very detail-oriented, but also very like assertive when she knew that she was in the right and she knew that something should be done the way that she's describing it because she had the data to back it up, she would often just hold her ground, which is something that I had like never seen before. Because often you're told to be like soft-spoken, be gentle. When you see like I don't know, someone doing something, trying to convince them, but don't be pushy in a way. Whereas for her, she's like, no, 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 I'm right. There is no way I'm going to let you do this knowing that I'm right. So yeah, alhamdulillah, from her, I kind of learned how to just slowly like be confident and assertive without being brush, if you see what I mean. Yes, yep, definitely. Yeah. And then of course, like there's so many other women from like the networks I've been uh, part of where you can just see people wanting to do more for their communities, putting a lot of effort and their own personal time and resources to make it happen and seeing how many people were putting together like meetups to help other women learn about coding, learn about data science and then putting together like workshops to help you upskill, get a bit more experience, like personal experience, um, hackathons where it wasn't competitive, it was just more an 
day that you could spend with other women learning about a particular like program and put some stuff together just to get you in that frame of mind of like okay this is how you'd approach it if you were to do it on your own that for me has been the biggest the biggest inspiration in the sense that every time I came out of those sort of environments I'd always come back feeling energized and also feeling like yeah I can do it when I'm doubting myself I just remind myself that there's so many other women who are doing pretty incredible stuff and also still being selfless and giving their own time and their own efforts to help others enter the field I think that's been my biggest inspiration and yeah from that I pray that they all continue to do what they're doing and benefit more people because we do need more women in this space yeah the power of the sisterhood <laughs> it's just a very different energy when you're surrounded by other women who are supporting you and kind of encouraging you but not in a competitive like you know yeah oh look what I've done look what I've done it's more like look what we can do together it's very genuine very warm <laughs> it's Definitely. nice Alhamdulillah. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to say Nina any you know last words of wisdom I guess if there's anyone who's considering entering the field or just experimenting with it I would say give it a go mm. um, Alhamdulillah I've benefited so much from this industry and I can see the possibilities and it excites me and I guess I just want other people to experience it like for guess my sister who's in medicine and my uh, other sister who's a radiographer I keep trying to get them to like learn coding they're not interested I'm like at least just understand the concepts because you never know you could mix your medical background with the technology and like become the next I don't know where you combine your domain expertise in medicine with a little bit of understanding of how technology works and you could do something that I don't know serves you any community so yeah, I, like I would say everyone, it's worth exploring and just familiarizing yourself with how it works, even if you don't plan to go into it, just to understand the options that it offers you when you do like want to use it. I would add to that, that if anyone is interested in getting started in tech, there's so many no-code and low-code platforms where the barrier to entry is so small. Absolutely. You can get started and just literally drag and drop your code and you can start seeing your ideas come to life. You don't have to study, you don't have to invest a whole lot of time just to get started and spark the initial interest. Definitely. And the best way to learn is to actually do something. Exactly. It's just have a little bit of a play and then it starts to fall into place. You're like, oh, so that's what you can do. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much, Nina. It was so good talking to you today. Likewise, thank you for having me. I hope you like that story as much as I did. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to it. Please consider following us and leaving a review if you like this episode. That really helps us a lot. And if you're a Muslim woman in tech, please go ahead and join our community. It's free, it's fun, it's supportive, it's a great time. That's all for me. Assalamu alaikum. Yeah.